When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 220, and we are recording on March 17th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot Quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Just in this house with these children. Yeah. (laughs) That's what's happening. And that's what all of you are out there doing also. So, like, we're all in the same boat. I have to say that the cats have never been happier. Like For they real. just think this is the best thing ever. So, yeah, Lola is um pleased. As are my children <laughs> who do not have to go to school for the first day of the future <laughs> and are just thrilled. They're thrilled. They don't care what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, little buds. I know. To be to be nine in, I was in, just in, thinking in an international <laughs> crisis. <laughs> when everything is being handled by someone more responsible than you what would that be like i don't know i can't imagine but i would (laughs) like to go to there yeah to a place with nice leadership wouldn't that be great anyway (laughs) we're gonna talk about books today because we're all at home reading anyway so (laughs) i guess we might as well um carry on which is my first recommendation also that was unintentional good hey so how this show works both now and not in times of international crises is that you send us your reading recommendation requests via email to get booked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site these can be for yourself for your book club a gift whatever um, we do ask for your email address because we might email you back if we've already answered your show on the air. Um, what else? If your question is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line or in big letters in the first line if you're using the form so that we can get to it on time. Okay, we do have one bit of feedback from Brannon who says, Brittany, who wanted an epic series to get lost in, should try Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan and finished by Brandon Sanderson. 14 books that are all 800 plus pages, so there's plenty to keep you busy. The magic and world building are awesome, but it's the characters that make me want to reread it. Okay, Jen's going to read our first question, and away we will go. All right, our first question is from Maimuna, who says, I'm looking for two sets of books. The first, historical romance. I like Julia Quinn and pretty much read most of her books. I also like Candace Camp and read some Eloisa James. My favorites of Julia's are the Bridgerton series. Can you please suggest historical romance that have Cinderella slash fairy tale like stories? It would be great if there's witty banter and family dynamics. Second, I'm looking for fantastical slash magical sorts of books. I loved Harry Potter. Something with wizards wizards or witches could be fun. Also, if it could be a feel-good sort of book where there is a happy ending, that would be great. No joke. Feel-good, happy endings for all of us. Um, before we do our answers, let's do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice 
of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, since you already segued your title. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we split this question. Jen took the romance part and I took the fantasy magic stuff. Since you like Harry Potter, I'm recommending Carry On by Rainbow Rowell, which is basically Harry Potter fan fiction and a little bit more grown up. Um, so this takes place in like a, it's, I mean, it's just a Harry Potter universe. Like there's a magical section of the universe and a non-magical one. Um, Simon Snow is the main character. He's the chosen one. He's very bad at being the chosen one. And the great, the thing about this that's interesting is when the book opens, he's already in his last year. So you're not following like a kid growing up and realizing the chosen one, realizing he's the chosen one. He's been the chosen one for like five years already. He's fought tons of battles already. He's got some PTSD. Um, And his roommate is named Boz. And Boz is a vampire and annoying terrible person and is the um like draco of this situation so if draco and harry were almost 20 and lived together and maybe secretly fell in love a little bit and then made out a lot that and one of them was a vampire then that's what this would be (laughs) so it's very um it's just gonna push all those buttons like everything you loved about harry potter is here it's got like really cozy settings there's lots of battles and drama there's more romance and it's a lot gayer than harry potter no matter what jk rowling says these days but it is so dramatic and like really fast paced um and a great escape which i think is something that we all you know need right now it's a lot more um multicultural than the original harry potter work so like i don't know it's just harry potter but kind of a little bit better Ooh, don't don't tell the internet i I know i just fired if i had read harry potter and then read carry on with no like cultural context in the year 2020 i would uh, i would definitely prefer carry on so Mm. anyway carry on (laughs) by rainbow (laughs) rowell Nice. 
Um, so I'm recommending an author, but also a book. I think you should check out Lenora Bell because she is very much in the Julia Quinn, Eloisa James, Regency romance sort of area. But I like her. Well, sorry, I haven't read a ton of Julia Quinn, but I like her better than Eloisa James because she's funnier. Um, don't shoot me. So, okay. So the thing, uh, the first book that I read by her, which is also the one I'm suggesting you start with, and it is actually the first one this time, um, is How the Duke Was Won, which is the first in the Disgraceful Duke series. And it has a duke who is like very notorious for being uncivilized. He's not quite a rake, but he's like very... He is very unconventional, shall we say. And, like, the spoiler is he's, like, a social justice duke, which is amazing. Social and justice duke. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's social justice duke. And he needs a bride with a spotless reputation because he has this, like, business arrangement that he needs to go through. And so he needs better political connections. So he needs to get married. He needs it to be to somebody who's, like, super above reproach, et cetera, et cetera. And the heroine, talk about a, a Cinderella story, is, like... She works in a brothel. She is the illegitimate daughter of an earl and a courtesan. And she is asked to pose as her half-sister, who is like a legit lady, by the, the mother of that sister. Because her sister is like, her half-sister is out of town, but they want to like win this marriage contract, basically. And they look similar enough that she's like, it'll be fine. Nobody will notice. <laughs> Go use your wiles or whatever to win this duke. And then my daughter will come back and actually marry him. And I'll give you lots of money. And Charlene is like, well, I don't really have a choice in this matter. Like, I need the money. I don't want to, you know, become a courtesan like my mom, like, but I want a better life. And so here's how I'm going to get it. So, you know, hijinks ensue, obviously. <laughs> and it is actually like for as Regencies go, these are very multicultural. I won't say exactly how because spoilers, but there's characters of color on the page. I love how they're woven in. I love the supporting characters. I love the family dynamics. I love the hijinks that these two get up to. Like, it's so much fun. So, uh, but and I've I understand from friends who have read her others that they are similarly just like very entertaining and very multicultural and just like great regencies. So again, that first one is How the Duke Was Won, and they're by Lenora Bell. All right, our next question is from Elizabeth, who says this is yet another request from a woman shopping for her husband, but there is no Brandon Sanderson involved. My husband self-identifies as a slow reader, and he has very little free time to read. He's an emergency medicine doctor and runs a business on the side. So we try to make each book selection count. He recently loved The Sympathizer and Homegoing. He liked but didn't love The Topeka School and Disappearing Earth. Um, he's forcing himself to finish Lincoln in the Bardo because I loved it, but it's really not for him. He's DNF'd Pride and Prejudice. Cutting for Stone and Cider House Rules are all-time favorites. Well, that makes sense. They're all about doctors. Um, and he <laughs> loved Trevor Noah's memoir, Born a Crime. Um, let's the, he's already planning to read The Overstory and Pachinko because of how much I love them. I'd love any other suggestions you might have. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked Sharks and the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn, uh, which, come, Washburn excuse me, which comes with a trigger warning, warning for homophobia. I picked this because he loved The Sympathizer and Homegoing. And also, if he's going to read Pachinko, it seems like he enjoys like family kind of sagas and um, Cutting for Stone is also... A family saga. Um, so I went with one of those. And Sharks of the Time of Saviors is so it's so good that when I post about it on Instagram, I didn't even review it. I was just like, buy this. And that's my review. Like you go <laughs> I'm commanding you 
from on high to go buy it. Um, it just came out also on March 3rd. So you should be able to find it in a pretty hardcover. It's very nice. So this takes place in Hawaii. And Kauai Strong Washburn is a Native Hawaiian, um, and it starts in the 90s, and it's about a family. They're, they live in kind of, I guess what I would describe as like genteel poverty in Hawaii. It's a family of Native Hawaiians, and their seven-year-old son, Nanoa, uh, falls overboard when they've taken a very rare vacation for their family. They're on like a cruise ship um, in a harbor in the ocean, obviously, because it's Hawaii. Um, and so he falls overboard and a shiver of sharks, which is the real collective <gasps> noun for a group of sharks. True? That's yes. amazing. Yes. The only better one is a murder of crows. A shiver of sharks shows up as this boy has fallen into the water. And of course, everyone freaks out. The mom dives in after him. But the sharks, instead of, you know, killing the kid, like gently take him in their mouth and swim him back to the boat and like deposit him into the arms of his waiting mother. So everyone assumes that um, that he is the like second coming of these really epic Hawaiian gods and that he is destined to do legendary things. Also, the night that he was conceived, his parents like saw ghosts and, and or saw um, like their ancestors on the beach. It's, it's a whole supernatural thing happening around this kid. And of course, he's seven. And then he starts exhibiting some like really strange abilities that have to do with like healing the sick. And it's just a lot. It's a lot. And so his family, who are in not great um, financial circumstances, begin to, to like, charge people to visit this boy. And that becomes a whole thing. Um, and so you're looking at the effects of this these expectations that this boy is going to grow up to be like a new Hawaiian king who's going to save his people have on this kind of, you know, lower to lower middle class family in the 90s. Um, He's got other siblings who are not supernaturally gifted. One of them's like a basketball player and one of them, his sister is like a good student. And so you follow them over time as they deal with the repercussions of the expectations put on this kid. And then as they're adults um, and what has happened to them, especially this boy, um, as they've grown up and they've all left Hawaii and like gone to the mainland. Um, There are a lot of terms and phrases in the book that I didn't understand. They're like Hawaiian slang that I had to look up. So and I actually kind of love that thing. I love having to do that and like learning about a culture. I don't know much about Hawaiian, like native Hawaiian culture at all, of course, but then Hawaiian culture in general is so multicultural. And it's this like all of the slang is a blend of um, like Hawaiian and Japanese and Filipino. And it's it's confusing in like the best way, if that makes sense. Like you're learning something while you're being transported in this really amazing um, and like heartbreaking story. So Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. I have got to bump that up on the list. Ooh, it's, it's so good. Obviously, it's on my radar because you love it so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seems like a good read for right now. Yes. Uh, all right. So my pick is The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies, which comes with trigger warnings for racism in various manifestations, including a violent hate crime. And I also zeroed in on this like multi-generational slash maybe a little bit like historical aspect of the books that your husband likes. And The Fortunes is interesting because it is multi-generational, but they're not it's not one family 
What this book does is follow the lives of four, I think it's four, yeah, four, Chinese Americans through American history, starting with like, you know, the time of the railroad barons and the gold rush in San Francisco and um, a, a valet, a railroad baron's valet who is Chinese American. And then um, a, the, like Hollywood's first Chinese movie star in the, you know, golden age of Hollywood. Hollywood. And then there's a hate crime victim, which is that's rough. Um, and then in like our current times, um, a biracial writer visiting China for an adoption. And so they're all connected by like a strand of something, but they're not related to each other. But it's really it's so well done because you just feel like you know, you see these through lines, even though each story is so different from the others. And the writing is so good. Like, uh, it, clearly, you know, y'all read a lot of literary fiction. And this is like, this is beautiful prose, and really thoughtful and like, very beautifully realized characters. And then also just moments in American history that are kind of fascinating to look through this lens, which I think you know, some of us maybe haven't before in the same way that homegoing gives us, you know, an eye on history in different moments that we might not have read before. So it's just, it's really, really good. It's, it's very memorable. It's, it's just, and the characters are so strong. The voices are so strong. Um, so again, that's The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies. And our next question is from Megan, who says, uh, at the beginning of April, I'm going back to Hungary for a friend's wedding. Oh, I wonder if that's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry if it's canceled. We'll give you books anyway. Okay. The question is, I'm taking my time getting there. So between planes, trains, and no automobiles, I'm going to have a lot of time. I'm set on audiobooks, but would like a physical book to bust out when I'm tired of listening. Countries I'm hitting up are the Netherlands, Portugal, Germany, Poland, Hungary, and maybe Belgium. I don't care about the genre. just need something for entertainment oh boo yeah amanda what do you got <laughs> um obviously i picked these questions two weeks ago yeah <laughs> before any of this had happened um okay so i picked the 10th muse by katherine chung um because it is a wonderful audiobook and a really pretty physical book it's not too long so it won't be like hefty when you're doing your traveling and the main character follows a travel route that is fairly similar to the one that you're going to follow if you have still gone um, so this is historical fiction, kind of. Most of it is uh, a flashback, but there are also parts of it where you are with Catherine, the main character, as an elderly woman. And so the book opens when she's older. She's talking about herself. She's a famous mathematician um, and has spent most of her life having to do, you know, having to work extra, having to do twice the work to get half as far because she is a woman in math and also a woman of color. And so she is um, at the end of her life and has decided that she's going to solve the Ryman hypothesis, which I don't know if that's a real thing. But in the book, it is this like unsolvable hypothesis, hypothesis that dates back to World War II that no one's been able, able to prove. And, the, and she thinks that she knows how to prove this theorem. Um, and so along with that, the hypothesis has a really deep personal connection to her. And so you follow her story as she goes back in time to tell you why that is. Um, her She was born to her parents her, her dad was obviously she was born to her parents that was the that was like three sentences i just combined there her dad was a world war ii vet and her mother was um not who she thought she was but i don't want to spoil it so you can find that out later uh and then as she goes off to school um she gets involved with one of her professors he takes credit for her work it's a whole like drama and shenanigans and all of the things that you would obstacles you would expect 
an Asian woman in math in like the 50s to encounter. She absolutely encounters. And then she goes to Europe um, to get away from like the remains of this relationship and to try and reinvent herself and to do her own work that won't have anything to do with this man. And while she's there, she starts discovering secrets about her family and herself um, that have to do in Germany that have to do with the Holocaust and her personal history um, and her connection to this hypothesis. So it's like this really epic kind of family saga where you're discovering all these secrets about everyone who she's surrounded by. And it's also really interesting mathematically. I don't know anything about theoretical math or like the kind of math that people talk about as like discoveries or whatever. Because I'm always like, but it's just math. Like math exists. How can you discover new math? I don't understand that at all. (laughs) But nothing in this book was confusing or too much for me to understand. Like she explains it really simply. um, And I was there for like the whole story. So I understood what the hypothesis was, what she was trying to prove. Um, And then you wrap that up in this like really epic World War II drama and like historical secrets and and her family, um, you know, dealing with whatever, getting any more into it would be kind of a spoiler about like who she actually is. So I'm not going to do that. But if you like World War II historical fiction, but are like kind of tired of the same old way that that story has been told, especially recently, then I think you should really pick this one up because it's telling it from a new, um, a new perspective that I had not encountered yet. So that's The 10th Muse by Catherine Chung. Nice. Um, my pick doesn't have anything to do with travel. You said you didn't care about genre and you just wanted something entertaining. And so I picked a book that I took on my winter vacation. It's A Pale Light in the Black by KB Wagers. And it does come with a warning for emotionally abusive parents. Um, so if like they're sort of off stage, but the repercussions of their terribleness are part of the story. Um, so this book is sort of Coast Guard in space is how the publisher has been pitching it. Um, it's also sort of like um, like military like games, like like uh, American Ninja Warrior, like Gladiator sort of like you know games against other teams from various military branches, and also it's the story of this one young person who is like trying to find her way through uh some you know crappy family dynamics she's her max is from this very wealthy family and they all like follow this very specific career path and like get you know high-ranking jobs in the marines or whatever um and she doesn't want to do that and so she joins sort of the like looked down upon you know coast guardy they're called the neo g's um and against her family's wishes and she's been cut off from communication and money and all of this jazz but also everybody knows who her family is so they like assume certain things about her and so she's battling you know both separation from her family and everybody's expectations about what she's going to be like which she's not of course and it's like very you know found family there's also this conspiracy plot that she stumbles upon and assassins come after her and try to kill her and her teammates and so she has to find out like what is it that she knows or that somebody else knows that they're afraid she's going to find out and there's a whole plot around this longevity drug and it's like very sort of page turnery but also so found family focused there like if it weren't that there weren't aliens i would say it's very becky chambers like but there aren't aliens but it is still kind of that becky chambers vibe um so if that's a thing that y'all are looking for i do recommend it it was super fun i loved the sort of games aspect and how it switched back and forth between that and like the much more serious you know sort of assassin 
conspiracy plot line because it broke it up nicely, which is really ideal, I think, for when you're traveling or just trying to like, you know, you have just little blocks of time for reading. So it broke those up nicely. And I just, I loved all the characters. There's queer folks and marginalized folks and all kinds of diversity on the page and neurodiversity as well. Um, And it's just really just like fun. It's super fun and very distracting, which is, you know, a good thing at the moment. Uh, So again, that's A Pale Light in the Black by KB Wagers. It is the first in a series. So, but I think we'll probably have to wait a little while for number two because this one just came out. All right. Our next question is from Megan, who says, I'm seeking a book suggestion for my future mother-in-law's birthday. Important stuff. We have recently been discussing her love for Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. She has friends who also love these books and have picked up the idea of sending jeans to one another. She didn't realize there was a fifth book in the series and was so excited to listen to it on audio. Turns out it was not at all what she was hoping for and a huge disappointment to the series ending. I'm hoping you can help think up a comp to the Traveling Pants that embodies all the wholesome, feel-good sentiments and tells a tale of amazing female friendship. No teenage innocence turning into adulthood angst or heart-wrenching plot lines that will make her cry. I think some romance mixed in might be fine, but nothing too spicy. I suppose a series would be nice, but not necessary. Okay, um, I picked Dunder Cheap by Sarah Nicole Lemon, which is not a series. It's just a standalone. Um, and this was, I don't remember how it was. It was like, how was this thing to me? Like, um, what was that motorcycle? Thelma and Louise meet something. Thelma and Louise, teenage Thelma and Louise is basically what it is. Um, And so this takes place in Roanoke, Virginia, and it's about two teenage girls, Tourmaline and Virginia. Um, And Tourmaline is the daughter of the head of a local biker club that's called the Wardens. And she is 18. And her home life is actually surprisingly stable for like someone who's the daughter of a local gang. Um, But her mother is in prison and her mother is in prison because of an accidental uh, like testimony that Tourmaline gave. So she has a lot of guilt about it. Um, But that was three years ago, and she's just trying to, like, kind of, you know, help her dad, feed her dad dinner, make sure he takes care of himself, and then go to college and become, I think she wants to be a kindergarten teacher. And then Virginia has had a very different kind of life. Virginia's mother sold her to a local lawyer to pay off, like, a DUI fine. Um, And she, when she was 15, and she has been working for that guy ever since, she comes from a, a much more abused kind of background, and... The, the the lawyer's name is Hazard. He sends Virginia in to dismantle the wardens, that biker gang, because they're competing against him for, like, you know, underworld king dumb, basically. <laughs> um, and so she goes and befriends Tourmaline with the intentions of, like, bringing this gang down and kind of ruining Tourmaline's life. But what ends up happening is the two of them become really good friends, best friends, like each other's family. Um, and they band together to, like, overcome all of these circumstances and these kind of horrible men who are trying to control their lives. It is obviously, as you can tell, much heavier than the traveling pants. But I don't know if that's actually true because like a lot of stuff happens to those girls in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and some of it is very serious and um, traumatizing. So I don't think that the material will be too much for your mother. Um, Obviously, this is just two girls and not like a group. But I do think the um, epic tale, uh, I keep saying epic this episode, I've said like 40 times, the um, really important and big tale of girls um, being there for each other when nobody else will be is a similar through line between both uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and this one. So that's Dunder Cheap by Sarah Nicole Lemon. 
Yeah, I went like all the way to like the happy, feel, <laughs> fluffy, like no sadness ever <laughs> side of things. I picked Lumberjanes because like it, you want female friendship and like mm-hmm. all of the heartwarmingness. Like here you go. Here it is. It's right here. Um, The first volume, it's a graphic novel series. And the first no, uh, the first collection is called Up All Night uh, by Noelle Stevenson, Grace Ellis, Shannon Waters, Brooke Allen, and a bunch more folks. And it is so sweet and lovely. It is about a summer camp for girls and the five campers who get assigned, you know, their cabin together randomly and become this amazing lovely squad of female support and friendship. And, you know, it's just, it's so much fun. There are, the action is sort of around them having adventures of a vaguely supernatural kind in the forests around the camp or like the lake, like there's, you know, creatures in the woods and there's, you know, all kinds of little like magical fun things going on. And literally, the power of friendship is what saves the day. Like, Uh I can't even (laughs) handle how great it is. Um, So they're just lovely. I love... The illustration style changes throughout the series because various, you know, artists come and go in this series. Um, I love the original artwork because it's Noelle Stevenson and she's got such a distinct style. But the other artists are great, too. And, yeah, I mean, these characters are just so wonderful and so fun. And you do see them, you know, coming to terms with various intense moments and feelings in their lives, but like it's so wholesome. It's so heartwarming. So again, that's Lumberjanes. The first collection is up all night. And now it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. 
The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. And it's still my turn to talk. Okay, our Mm -hmm. next recommendation request is from Eric, who says, I've been starting to get into classical music, but know so little about it that I feel a bit overwhelmed trying to familiarize myself with the different eras, composers, etc. I was wondering if you have a classical music-inspired recommendation. Could be a nonfiction pick, a memoir, or even a work of fiction where classical music is part of the essence. I've seen good reviews for Counterpoint, a memoir of Bach and Morning, so I'm already interested in picking that one up. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked Frederick Chopin, A Life and Times by Alan Walker. This is fairly new. It came out in 2018 and immediately won, like, and was nominated for a bunch of awards. And it's a chunkster. It's like 800 pages. Um, but he lived a kind of intense life, dare I say. Epic. Ayo. Um, So I don't know if I know how much, like, I mean, it's a biography of Chopin. What else do you want? <laughs> he was a Polish composer. He's super famous. Um, He did have a very dramatic life. He spent his childhood and his young years in Poland. He eventually had um, a romantic relationship with George Sand, who he lived with for like nine or ten years while writing this really um, beautiful, timeless music that has lasted um, forever. So, you know, if you're if you're getting into classical music involves really deep dives into the kind of the big names, then I think this is a must read. While I'm here, I would like to recommend a few children's books to you. And I know, I know, whatever, they're picture books, but they're so great. The first one is called Before There Was Mozart. It's by Lisa Klein Ransom. And the other one is The Other Mozart um, by Hugh Brewster. And let me just, I hate that, like, they don't actually put the dude's name in the title of either of these books, but I get it. And both of these are children's books about Chevalier de Saint-Georges, who was an 18th century French composer who was black and was one of the most fascinating people ever. And like... They could say, you know, he's the other Mozart and like the black Mozart and all this. But in reality, he wrote most of his most famous works before Mozart. So like Mozart was the white Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Just to throw that out there. So <laughs> go check out this. There is not that I could find a an adult biography of the man. Like there's a lot of and I've been looking for like weeks. Um, There were a lot of like self-published versions like uh, of biographies of him. But they all of the reviews for them are really bad. Um, But these are solid children's books published by like actual publishers that have been um, vetted and illustrated. They're beautiful. He was he like was a violin virtuoso. Obviously, he was a composer. He was a swordsman. He won all these awards for being a swordsman. He was a military commander in the revolution. Like the dude was fascinating. So go read those also. And now I'm going to stop. Yeah, I'm going to have to read those for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I am going to open with a podcast recommendation because the Open Ears Project, which I also made Amanda listen mm-hmm. to, I got That's so great. hooked on it, is ideal if you are trying to like come at classical music in bite-sized and more personal ways. What it does is it, like, in each episode, which are about, you know, 15 minutes long, give or take, are with a specific person and sometimes it's like an actor or a musician or an architect and sometimes it's a school teacher um, and it's about one of their favorite 
pieces of classical music. And so you listen to them tell you why they love this piece. And then you hear the piece itself. It's beautifully produced. It's excellent. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, And then my book pick is Murder in G Major by Alexia Gordon. Uh, Trigger warning for mental illness slurs used throughout the book. But this is a murder mystery set in Ireland with a black female protagonist who is a, uh, like, concert I can't remember what she plays. She's she is a very talented musician. And she is also like coming into a weird moment in her career. She didn't get picked for this position because of like nepotism and now she has very few job options and so she takes an offer to teach uh in a boys school because they want somebody to come and shape up the school orchestra so they can win this award that's like very highly prized in the community. And so she's just like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I guess I will do this. And they set her up with a house and everything, and the house is haunted because of course it is. And the former owner of the cottage was also a classical composer who, you know, um, he like was falsely accused of killing his wife and himself. And so he, like, appears to Gethsemane, who knows who he is because he was a famous musician, and he asks her to clear his name. And she's just like, I... What is going on? Like, I don't believe in ghosts. I also am just here to teach at a school. Like, I don't know anybody here. What on earth am I supposed to do here? And it's so, like, it's a really great mystery. Um, And it is the first in a series. So if you like it, there's more. And classical music is absolutely on every page of this book. And so there's a little bit of, like, Obviously, you can't hear the music that this, like, dead composer has composed, but there's references to other things that you can absolutely listen to. And I just love the way that, like, the music is so personal to these characters and, like, what it means to them. And and especially Gethsemane's thoughts on, like, what she's trying to teach the boys about what it should be like when they play a piece of music feels very relevant to your question. So again, that is Murder in G Major by Alexia Gordon. All right. Our next question is from Paula, who says, I love reading romance books, especially with same-sex couples. The problem is I can't seem to find good fictional professional adult romances with a gay couple. Male, male. I would love if you could recommend any. It can be sad or triggering after reading A Little Life, I'm Immune. Uh, a special request would be a historian or historical novel, perhaps playing during a war in the early 20th century. Uh, earlier would be better, like The guy, uh, Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. Young adult would be okay, but adult is better. I'm open to any genre except sci-fi and nonfiction. I'm also not a huge fan of high fantasy. Okay, I'm ignoring several aspects of your question. <laughs> Well, no, not really. Okay, I picked The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune, which is a male-male romance. It's not historical, I don't think. It feels very timeless. Like, it could be set anywhere from the 50s to now. Like, the internet's not talked about. Nobody has a cell phone that I can remember in the book. Um, so it could be ta- it could, could be taking place at any time. It is fantasy, but it's not high fantasy. Like, this is still very much Earth in a recognizable way. But there are supernatural or magical creatures within it. So Linus is the main character. He lives in a small 
Uh, well, not a small. He lives in a city, and he works as a caseworker at the department of in charge of magical youth. And so his job is to oversee the well-being of magical kids who are in government-sanctioned orphanages. And his what his life is very solitary. It's also very regimented. He has a really angry cat who is one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and a super grumpy like neighbor and his boss is the worst and his like all of his days are spent doing kind of the same thing over and over and his job is to go inspect these orphanages to make sure that the kids who are all magical creatures or have magical abilities of some kind are being cared for um and so then he gets summoned by extremely upper management uh it has like a terry pratchett kind of feel um this book does and he's given an assignment that's super highly classified and they've picked him because he writes very thorough reports and his assignment is to go to Marseilles Island Orphanage, um, which is run by a man named Arthur Parnassus, who's kind of very enigmatic and mysterious and has a lot of secrets, like S-E-K-R-I-T-S, secrets. Um, and the residents, uh, or the, yeah, the residents of the orphanage, there are six of them. They're all children. And this is a special orphanage because not only are the kids magical, but they're also very dangerous. So like there's a a gnome who's like very aggressive and will beat you about the knees with her shovel if given half a chance. Um, there's a sprite and like a wyvern. Um, there's a were Pomeranian who is the most lovely. Like it's this giant teenage boy who's very like clumsy and has a lot of anxiety. And when he gets too frightened, he turns into a Pomeranian, like a That's tiny little. The best thing I've ever. It's seen. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the star uh, resident of this orphanage is the Antichrist, like the literal like the Antichrist, who is six, um, and comes along with everything that you would imagine, like big nightmares, lots of the, the stuff that comes out of this kid's mouth is just hilarious because he's the Antichrist. And so Lioness doesn't realize who is at this orphanage until he shows up uh, because it's just like a classified and then he's given the records and he reads them and is immediately totally freaked out. Um, but as he stays there and he's supposed to stay there for uh, several weeks in order to monitor the situation um, and report back, about how the kids are doing, um, he realizes that there is a lot more going on than he was given, like the, than the information that he's given. In this universe, magical kids are separate, like segregated. And he thinks it's for their, for like what's best for them because the, it keeps them safe. But the more that he gets to know these children, the more he realizes that it's actually about discrimination and prejudice. Um, and he starts to really understand like that these kids are people even when they're pomeranians you're a people even if you're a pomeranian (laughs) um and he gets closer and closer to arthur parnassus hey and i love this romance so much because both of these men are like in their 40s um they're both professionals um and they're like they're foster dads that's what they end up being right like arthur runs this home for these orphaned kids because he that because that's like his calling it's what he wants to do and there is no homophobia in this story like there's a lot of bigotry and a lot of um like hate but it's it's towards these kids because they have these magical abilities that people are, are scared of it's never about arthur or um linus being gay it's just such a lovely book and as a you know like former foster parent i deeply love this whole setup um and the antichrist kid is awesome like he's so great his whole point of existing as a character is that like no matter what your background is or who your parents are you can still you're still born a good person and you can remain a good person despite your circumstances it's so good so that's the house in the cerulean sea by tj clune 
feelings. <laughs> Misty I didn't even read it, and I have feelings about that book. Oh my god, Jen! <laughs> I know it's on my list. It's on my list. I love T.J. Klune. I'm like a recent convert, huge fan. Um, speaking of people, I'm a huge fan of Alexis <laughs> Hall. You should just read all of Alexis Hall. But I'm going to give you a starting point because why not? Um, so I'm going to give you for real, which is about. This is great. This is like. I don't know why I want to say this. This <laughs> was one of the BDSM novels that, like, really, I think, undoes a lot of the damage of some other BDSM novels that <laughs> shall, shall not be named because they have their own value, but that's not it. Um, and I loved For Real so much because it also deals with, like, a May-December romance in a really smart and interesting way. So the main characters are Lawrence, who is, like, a little bit older. He's about to turn 40. He is, he's been out of this very intense relationship for about six years but really hasn't recovered emotionally from it. Um, and he's just kind of tired. Like, he's just tired. He's also a sub, <clears throat> and he tends to, like, go to the clubs and, you know, like, pick somebody up. But it doesn't mean anything, and he's kind of over all of it. And then he's at the club one night, and he meets this 19-year-old named Toby Finch, who is, like doesn't know what the hell he's in for, but, like, has come to this club and, like, clearly, like, wants in on the scene. And they have this, like, chemistry moment. So Lawrence brings him home, and it's meant to be just, like, you know, a very consensual, like, very explicitly, like, everybody agrees on the terms, one night stand. But they catch feelings for each other, and things start to happen, and they have to navigate, like, all of this baggage. Toby is, like, sort of a natural dom, but doesn't know anything, doesn't know anything. Um, Lawrence has been doing this for a really long time, and so, like, maybe knows a little bit too much about how it all goes. And then they have this age difference, and Toby He's really trying to figure out like what his career path is. He knows who he is, but he doesn't know what he's going to do with himself. And that is also a sticking point because, you know, Lawrence is like an adult professional and like kind of has already been through all that. So they navigate all of these things so beautifully. It is also, for the record, five alarm explicit steamy like, <laughs> wow, just wow. So, you know, be prepared for that. But it's amazing. And the feelings are so beautifully dealt with and the whole situations, there's great side care. Characters. It's actually, because of course it is, it's actually number three in a series that all takes place around Oxford. It's like British setting. Um, and I have read other ones and really enjoyed them as well. But this one is always my favorite because it was the first one that I read. And But Alexis Hall has written a ton of other stuff. And like, I just highly recommend working through his books. Like they're all... I mean, he is a great writer. He does such a good job with his characters and with, like, all of the materials that he decides to tackle. Not all of them are, like, as super sexy. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. He's got a real range. Um, so, again, this book in particular is for real. It's by Alexis Hall. And I also, just, like, side note, because you wanted historical fiction, um, you we've talked about Cat Sebastian before on this show, but definitely check out her historicals, which are hella gay. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. That's those are my recommendations for that. 
All right, our last question is from Kristen, who says, I'm looking for a series I can get lost in. I've recently found the Veronica Speedwell series and loved every minute of them. I've also started the Lady Grey series. I have a 45-minute drive to and from work and have found this is a great way to get more reading in, so audiobooks are a plus but not necessary. Some seasons I've enjoyed in the past are the Pendergast books and the Immortal Instruments series. I love a female lead ahead of her time, and some spooky slash mystery elements are great, too. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I am recommending the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas. The first one is a study in Scarlet Women, and this comes with a trigger warning for sexual abuse of children. So there are four, uh, four and a half, because there's like a novella, I think, in the middle, uh, books in this series out so far, and it is ongoing, so there are more. Um, and this is very much a female lead ahead of her time with some spooky elements. None of them are supernatural, <laughs> but, you know, spooky elements because it's Sherlock. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It's a gender-flipped Sherlock Holmes story uh, set in Victorian England. Charlotte Holmes is the main character, and she is, you know, a lady. She is upper class. And in the opening book, she decides that she does not want to get married. Like, she's gotten to marriageable age, and her family is very much, like, trying to marry her off. Um, And it's not something she wants to do. She wants to continue living her life on her own terms, very much as you would imagine Sherlock Holmes would react to trying someone trying to marry him off. And so she conspires to um, ruin herself, like get herself caught doing something scandalous so that she won't have to get married because no one will want her. And so that's what she does when the book opens. And now she has so much more freedom to kind of do what she wants. And then the city of London, where she lives, obviously, is um, has a trio of unexpected deaths. They're suspected to be murders. And suspicion starts to fall on her family, like on her father and her sister. And so she decides she's got to clear their names and she's going to go find out. Um, what actually happened. And that's how she gets involved in crime solving. And the way that she manages to convince everyone around her that like Holmes as a person is a dude is hilarious. Like it involves a lot of hijinks and a lot of people just like not believing what's in front of their eyes, but she manages to pull it off with the help of the Watson character who in this book is like a friendly retired actress who was a widow who helps Charlotte you know, on with her life when her family rejects her after she ruins herself on purpose um, and kind of gives her some financial support and then sort of lets her be a genius out there in the world while pretending to be a dude, kind of. Pretending that she's got a dude relative. It's complicated, but don't find out. And the audio book <laughs> is long. The first one, it's like, I think I listened to it on audio and I think it was nine or ten hours. So that the whole series um, should occupy you for quite some time. So that's A Study in Scarlet Women, um, number one in the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas. My recommendation to you comes via my friend Ellen, who this is like a hundred thousand percent her wheelhouse. And so I was like, <laughs> Ellen, I need something I haven't recommended before. And she gave me a book that is definitely on my TBR. It's A Death of No Importance by Mariah Fredericks, which is the first in the Jane Prescott series. And I am obsessed with this description. Okay. It's a 1910s New York City ladies made solving mysteries like what that's amazing that's just amazing um she is jane uh as you might guess the main character um is currently a lady's maid to like this very fancy family who are being dismissed by the city's old money as new money she uh realizes that she like she understands the rules of high society and they don't so she's like trying to kind of like help them out a little bit with this but then their daughter charlotte becomes engaged to this playboy who so like their their reputation is in tatters as is, as it is and then nori the fiance is found murdered at a party and so like maids you know 
people don't look at them. They pretend they're not there. They overhear all kinds of things. She doesn't have any social standing, but she's got like all of these resources and background tools. And she realizes she's like, oh, I can solve this murder and help everybody out. Um, and so that is her quest on this first one. And I think that the series is ongoing. The first one came out uh, in 2018. So there are a couple currently and more coming. And I just like love I don't remember reading a procedural set in this era with this kind of protagonist before. So that makes me really happy. Um, so again, that's A Death of No Importance by Mariah Fredericks. And that is our show. Hey! Episode one from Quarantine, done. Hopefully yeah. Happy. <laughs> Too many of these for all of us. Whew. Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. Wash your hands. Okay, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>